If you are just joining us this week, uh, we are in a new series. We are in the season of Eastertide, post-resurrection. And we are talking a little bit about empire and about coming alive, being alive, our lives as an act of resistance to empire. Last week we talked a lot, Trey talked about the Roman Empire. But before Caesar was a glimmer in his mother's eye, there were other warring empires. The ancient Jewish kingdoms of Israel and Judah were stuck in the middle, quite literally, of several domineering empires. For a long time, the enemy to the north, Babylon, was the biggest and strongest of them all. And like other empires, Babylon sought dominance and control, stepping on the little people and the little countries that got in the way. They forced them to pledge and to pay allegiance in order to stay safe in their own land. And the ancient Hebrew people experienced Babylon's wrath firsthand in the 6th century when the king of Judah made the choice to withhold the money Babylon was forcing them to pay. And the siege on Jerusalem was decisive and strong and thousands of people were marched into exile. This was a strategic move on the part of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He couldn't handle taking everyone marching everyone into exile. So he took the wealthy and the educated, the religious and political leaders, and left the poor elderly and disabled to fend for themselves as refugees in their own war-torn country, creating two equal disasters at once. The exiles marched from Jerusalem to small cities designated for them along the rivers of Babylon. And there they were faced with a new reality. As political prisoners in a land surrounded by a culture that was not theirs. We read about this time in many of the books in what we Christians often call the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible. If you read through the books of Kings and Lamentations, you hear reference this time. Many of the Psalms and the prophets speak to the pain and trauma of exile. We hear the fear and the grief from the mouth of the exiles as the psalmist writes, By the rivers yes. of Babylon, yes. we sat and we wept when we saw Zion. On the poplars we hung our hearts, and the captors asked us to sing songs of joy. They said, sing songs of Zion, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? Their pain echoes to us across time, and it feels a little familiar. What do we do when it feels like the empire has won? How do we regroup when all we have known has been stripped away and we find ourselves sitting in unfamiliar ground, unable to sing us songs about home that remind us of who we are? Maybe someone here knows what it feels like to be in exile physically, separated from 
somewhere or someone that you love and know, not by your own choice. Maybe for some of us, it's more of a spiritual exile. You're unable to make sense of where you find yourself spiritually, and everything about faith seems strange now. And maybe for some of us, we haven't been privileged enough to never really feel a sense of exile. I think there are many folks in this country who got a glimpse for the first time, maybe, of what it could feel like during this past presidential election. Now, let me be clear. I am in no way making a one-to-one comparison to the election of Donald Trump and exile. However, for some who enjoyed a relatively exile-free existence up until this point, this might just be the space that allows them to feel empathy for the first time for those in exile. Because there are real feelings of betrayal around this. A sense of loss for what could have, what had, what we thought maybe could be. For some folks, in November of 2017, felt like waking up in a strange land, a place they didn't recognize. And with each passing news cycle, they're reminded that this does not feel like our home. How can we sing the songs of home in a foreign land? How can we resist the false narrative of empire? And just like we do, the ancient Jewish exiles ask questions that rarely have satisfactory answers. Why did this happen? How did we get here? Who's to blame? It seemed arbitrary and unfair to speak what would possibly be the most logical answer, that the geopolitical atmosphere of the ancient Near East made it probable, if not, you know, expected that this would happen. But it's clear from the Hebrew prophets that this community wrestled, wrestled with the questions and ultimately began uh, and laid the blame coming back at their own feet for wandering away from God. This was part of an act of disobedience. And we look back sometimes and we think, y'all, that wasn't your fault. You didn't do this to yourself. We want, we want to say, we read the prophets and we read the Psalms and we want to say, this is not about you. This was about an empire who was wrong to do what they did to you. And then we step back and realize, but you know what? We do that to ourselves as well. When tragedy gets too close to home, we often ask questions that rarely have satisfactory answers. And more often than we care to admit, all we are left with is that we're being punished for something. Something we did wrong, something we didn't do, maybe just for being who we are. Because one of the hardest things in our lives is to feel stuck. Stuck somewhere we didn't want to be, with little or no power to influence or change the situation. That is exile, folks. Stuck by the rivers of Babylon, not by our own choice, and powerless to change the bigger picture. And into this mess, we hear the words of the prophet Jeremiah. I like Jeremiah. Go read on your own a little bit more about who Jeremiah is and, and, 
and, and what he writes, um, what's attributed to him. I like him because he's full of emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and he's very quick to share what he's feeling. I think part of being so full of emotion is because he witnessed a lot of trauma. He lived through the siege and the fall of Jerusalem, and he probably watched as those exiles marched out of their city, never to be able to come home again. Knowing their pain, he speaks a word of life to them in our text this morning. Build houses, he says. Settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Help your children find spouses of their own. In other words, let life happen. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah's words here seem a little shocking. Like cold water on your face when you've been dead asleep. In the midst of all this theoretical pondering, memories of the past, trying to cast blame, looking for hope or change, Jeremiah says one way you can resist the empire's exile is to remember you are alive and focus on the things that keep you that way. Shelter, food, relationships, safety, nourishment, connection. Jeremiah's words remind us that when we find ourselves running up against the empires that have forced us into exile, we must remember that our being alive in itself is an act of resistance. And in order to sustain that, in order to continue to come alive in the midst of overpowering obstacles, we have to do things like find shelter. By nourishment and stay in relationships. When the world around us is not safe, we have to create, find, organize our own safe spaces. Great, great. Nothing about Babylon felt like home, so they had to bring home to yeah. Babylon. Yeah, yeah. When we feel like we don't belong, it is our job to create communities of belonging. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah didn't own stock in a in a in a company that built houses. He wasn't in this for himself to get a bigger piece of the land back home in Jerusalem. This was a reminder to the people in exile that even though they weren't at home, they could still feel safe. They could still create a space for themselves. Home is yours to control. First, create your own safe space. Then, grow something and eat it. Find a way to ensure your nourishment. Something that can sustain you when the empire is fickle. Because some days it will be plenty and some days it will be nothing. It's right that we should talk about cultivating the earth in sustainable ways. Because, you know, it's Earth Day. We've talked a lot about that already. And there are very practical ways to plant a garden. For our ancient exile friends, it was very practical. Jeremiah's words, put a garden down, pull up the food, and sustain yourself. Don't trust an empire who doesn't have your back to provide it for you. Food comes from garden. 
when you don't know where your food is coming from, having a garden makes sense. But it also makes sense in other ways. A recent Psychology Today article highlights why gardening is good for our mental health. It lists things like it nurtures a sense of responsibility. It teaches us how to nurture, even something small. It keeps us grounded. Literally playing in the dirt reminds us that we are connected to all other living things. It teaches us to do our part and then let go. Let the wind and the rain and the sun do their job. We can't do it all, Gardening reminds us. And these are good lessons when living in exile. First, ensure your own nourishment, but realize that you are also dependent on others. Practice cultivating what you need, whether that is physical food, or a space for you to vent about life, or a yoga practice, or being creative, or a time of silence or meditation, or grabbing a drink with friends. Figure out what nourishes you and ensure that you do it. Finally, Jeremiah says, get married and have kids. And help your kids find spouses. Now, some of our mothers are like, yes, do that. Um, for, for our ancient friends, this was a very literal mandate because they needed to ensure that there would indeed be a future generation. Hence, you know, procreation. But I think there's something else here as well. Creating a safe space is crucial, and ensuring that our own nourishment is provided is also super important. But we also need to remember that we are not in this alone. Exile is lonely. Fear and grief can cause us to isolate even more. But celebrating our life in connection with someone or someone's else is just as necessary. It's your relationship with others that will sustain the work of resistance into the future. The empire may seem like they have it all in control, but your life, life lived in connection with other people, is an act of resistance. And nothing gets under the skin of a, of a domineering empire, desperate for control, than human flourishing. According to one definition, human flourishing is the rational use of one's individual human potentialities, including talents, abilities, and virtues, in the pursuit of a freely set goal. In other words, do you full out? Resist the empire by flourishing in your own exile. Mm. The root word for flourishing is flowering. We're surrounded by that happening all around us outside. I am taking an allergy pill currently <laughs> because of the flourishing frenzy that is happening. And so this week, as you open the yellow-tinted car door, <laughs> And you wipe that pollen on the black pants you are wearing. Uh, 
Remember that that is nature's act. That life comes from death. And we can take a Claritin, and we can do a car wash, and we can take flow mates, and we can get a new air filter, but nothing stops that little bit of pollen from getting inside. That is life. That is resistance. That is fighting back empire and death. And we can learn a lesson from our friends.